Hey, podcast listeners. Great to have you back for another episode of City of Champions, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode of City of Champions is brought to you by Shaw Business. Shaw Business offers a whole suite of smart solutions to help power the entrepreneur. Things like smart Wi-Fi, smart surveillance, smart security, many other useful, super smart tools from Shaw Business to keep your systems up and running so you can focus on what's important. To learn more, visit shawbusiness.ca. Now, this week, Jim Jerome is my guest and he's someone who's been on my list since the start of the podcast. A year and a half ago, I turned to Jim for feedback on my first couple of episodes because he spent the better part of his career entertaining people as both a radio host and a stand-up comedian. Jim is the guy who says what everyone's thinking, uh, but not saying, and doesn't have much of a filter, so he gave me some honest, no-bullshit critiques of the podcast, which led to big improvements in the long run. On this episode, Jim and I talk all sorts of stuff, ranging from comedy, radio broadcasting, his baby boober, baby boomer, baby boomer frustrations in a social media world, uh, something that most of our parents can relate to. And we also share a very tender moment as he opens up about his past addictions and the hardest times of his life. I feel really truly honored that Jim took the time to sit down and have such an honest and vulnerable conversation. And it's one that I know you're all going to enjoy. So here we go with Jim Jerome. Sitting here, have the immense pleasure of chatting with Mr. Jim Jerome, legendary funny guy, radio broadcaster, stand-up comedian, event hoster. What yep. else? What else have I missed? Oh, I don't know. Keep going. You know, uh, international superstar. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Closest shave in the business. Closest shave in the business. Sure. Yeah. Face drop. No. I looked at. I don't look at myself anymore. You know, when I was younger, I was good looking, man. I saw a picture you posted I was on hot. Instagram. I was hot. Yeah, you had hair for days. Hair for days, man. Yeah, I was. I was Actually, good. it inspired me to start growing out this mall. Yeah, you can put your hat back on. Okay, anyone, <laughs> anyone with hair, look. You know, I'm. I'm not big on it, but. So, what have you been up to these days? So, uh, in Edmonton, um, what I've been up to is uh, not much different uh, than I've been doing the last ten years I guess or six or seven years um, I, f I finished in radio in 2012 I did that long run uh, in Ottawa doing that morning show uh, that that ended in 2012 with a with a bunch of other guys who got let go mm -hmm. the, the, the company got bought by Bell Globe uh, and 40 or 50 guys got got let go yeah. since that time I've, I've been doing the comedy corporate gigs for years now um, I got a family you know my my kids are 22, 19, and 16. Two, um, two boys and a girl? I got two boys and a girl. That's right. Yeah, yeah. good for you. Look yeah. at you doing the research, eh? That, that, was, a, that was a lob. That was <laughs> an easy one. <laughs> um, so I've been, I've been doing the comedy thing still. Uh, I travel with it um, a, a lot. Um, and sometimes not a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's streaky, that, that business. But most of those gigs that I do are fundraisers in little small towns around Canada. Uh, that we go in, they're raising money for a compressor in their arena or something like that, and they have a fundraiser. Marty McSorley and I have been doing that for a few years. So you guys go up on stage as a tag team and, right. and banter back and forth? Yeah, Marty. I can just chatter for days. Yeah, you don't know. Marty can talk more <laughs> than I can, you know. So 
I, I, I've still been doing that. Uh, I've been in the water, you know, the unsexy part of my life is mm -hmm. helping a guy do water coolers, but keeps the wolves off the door. Yeah. Um, and then I, I did a, I did a podcast, as you know, a, a couple years ago now, probably. And since that time, that was a lot of fun, ton of fun. I, I put more in the bank than I thought. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. I got to ask you your secret then, because I'm not making much on this yet. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. So yeah, I got all the secrets. Anyway, I'm starting a new one coming up, which is uh, not just a hobby, that it's it's a business. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it with Russ Cortnell, uh, who all us guys over 40 would know who he is. And Because mm -hmm. uh, when I told you, that's that's funny, uh, when I was telling you earlier that I'm doing this podcast, starting, and it's going to start in the next two, three weeks mm -hmm. with Russ Cortnell. You're, you're, saying, well, I remember Jeff, you know. Yeah, and, uh, well, actually, the only reason, I don't know where I learned Jeff's name from in the first place, but the only reason I relearned his name was as we were doing the Fear documentary going out of St. Louis and looking at that 95-96 Blues right. roster, Jeff Cortnell was on that team. Yeah. And for some reason, the Cortnell brothers' names just kind of popped into my head like I had heard it over the years. Right. And, and of course, Russ played. He was his older brother, and Russ was, you know, a, a dynamic player in the NHL. Mm -hmm. you, you wouldn't know this, but... I used to go watch him play. He was the fastest guy in the league. There was no doubt about it. That's what everyone talked about. Now fastest with and without the puck? All fast. All yeah, fast. All fast all the time, yeah. <laughs> Played for Team Canada. I think he went yeah. to the Olympics and stuff. Anyway, very outspoken guy. Mm -hmm. Hilarious guy. So you guys are going to team up? He got approached. He lives in L.A. by a company out of L.A. who's going into the podcast business. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, fine. Uh, but he wanted to do it with me for whatever reason. And uh, I'm, I'm more about that now because... Um, you know, when I did that podcast, and thanks a lot to Marty Forbes who started that and set it up, um, you know, the king and queen of, pod, of podcasts or broadcasting or radio I've come to learn is the queen is the content, but the king is the marketing. If, if you're going to try and make a living at it or if you're going to try and pitch it. And uh, we just never got to that place with, with the other podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I got Marty was fantastic in this thing, setting it up technically. and Because mm -hmm. I, I tried to do it from my home one time and... I did one with Jerry D, you yeah. know, Mr. D. Oh yeah, Mr. D. Yeah, and he was great, comedian, and uh, I was pushing buttons at my house. <laughs> anyway, the whole thing didn't record. Would you, you know? consider yourself uh, technologically savvy? Or? Oh, fuck no. no. I, have a, uh, I don't have a computer. Come I, on. I know. You're I getting this thing off your iPad or something? And the iPad I do have is a thick one. You know, yeah. it's, it's old. Yeah. Every, all my, I usually use my, and my, my iPhone is a, is a three or four. Yeah. Oops. I don't know where it is. Yeah. You know what's funny is like, you know. It's one of these. You see? The difference between our generation is that, you know, I think like, man, like how do people get through life not being able to operate text or their phone or their computer or things like that? Because there's so many people who are just not very fluent in that. But then you, you look at a guy like me and you go, yeah, but motherfucker, you can't even build a shelf or you can't even put, put a, you know, a saw to wood. Yeah. And, and it's interesting how that, what's been important has sort of shifted through the years and and now it's becoming so much more technical, so much more engineering savvy. Yeah, it, it is. But I'll tell you what, I started that, uh, the radio show that I did, which was successful. Uh, it was in, I moved back to Ottawa from here in, uh, in 99. My father was dying, unfortunately, and uh, I met my wife here. She was, she's a doctor, my ex-wife. And so she went back there to Ottawa to do a residency. I, I got up and did a gig. I was roasting the mayor. I was emceeing a roast for, no, Brian Kilray, Killer, mm -hmm. one of the most prolific coaches in junior hockey. Anyway, a guy from a radio station was there and said, hey, that's funny. Uh, he was a program director. He said, let's whip you on air. Right. So when that was in the late 90s, right, when Gretz got traded. Anyway, this technical side, I knew nothing, nothing technically. Right. I'm not lying. 
uh, I was embarrassed about it. So the guy started sitting in with the most, like we sort of clicked and I was filling in in afternoons in the, on this Ottawa Sports Radio. Yep. Uh, he said, we did, we did a, uh, we did emails. Okay. Like we had an email segment in the, now it's time to read emails. Right. And so I went to, some guy said on air, I'm, you know, I've just sent you guys an email. There was no Twitter or Instagram. So I got up and said, okay, I'll go get it. Yeah. And the guys, the guys looking at me laughing and I walk up over to the fax machine. Yeah. And, hey, saying, and he goes, what are you waiting for? I said, the emails, the emails are coming through the fax. So. Now, I had no experience when I started that in, in any of that. And when I left, I had no experience in it. I, so, uh, yeah, but you, were, you would say like you were the thoroughbred. You were the dialed in sort of talent that it didn't matter. You didn't need all that stuff. You were the guy that produced the content. Well, you know what? That show was, uh, that show was a huge part of my life. That, that, that show was successful. Um, three guys on the radio, T. Gore. It still goes today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was started in the early 2000s. I forget forget the year. Um, I love talking about it. I miss it. Um, but I'll tell you what. It it, uh, it was interesting to how that show ended up working because back in those days, I don't think there were many radio shows that had three guys on them, three personalities, three three hosts. Right. That's a lot of space. A lot of space. Mostly two. You know, it's it's confusing. So that that didn't give it a very good chance uh, a guy Mark me who had the foresight with this thing and said let's let's try it uh, I was totally nervous about it uh, we got you know I sat in for a few shows when it was Ottawa Sports Radio and they liked the the station got sold and then I got offered this job with with a guy named John Rodenberg who was the host to do the morning show mm-hmm. uh, and so I was like hey what do you want me to do what should I be doing the guy was like just just do what you've been doing right and I said okay but that's not much you know and uh anyway that that show brought in another guy steve warren and the thing soared um you know i owe all the success that i ever had in radio and i can explain that to those two guys to to the two guys i worked with mm-hmm. and the reason is um you know if you don't have people buying into what's going on in a radio show you got no show a lot of t- i've experienced the worst in radio i went to k-rock for a year and uh the, the the guy the one guy on there hated me uh and and when you get that uh you know they dismiss what you're saying they don't buy into what do they fake right. laugh they, they, the the show just goes nowhere it's just it just stops goes constantly so i didn't know what to do um you know i said what do you want to do? Said, just do what you're doing telling jokes you know the, right. these takes that you have about you know that women gotta for example when they're breaking a hockey game down I, I'm no good at that. You know, I didn't want to pretend to do that. But I said, look, I've, I've watched the game. The women are, are they're not watching the game. They're mm-hmm. in their phones. Mm-hmm. And then I said, you women have got to stop going to the games and you got to give up your tickets, you know, to men who watch the game. So that was my take on it, you know, and, and the guys were sort of looking at me. Uh, you know, a guy, when we first started said, hey, did you guys, when we first did that show, me and JR, they brought in another host, you know, and we were pissed, right? We didn't, we just wanted him and I to do it. Yeah. This guy was not a sports guy. And the first day or two, he said, did you guys watch the basketball match? And we were on air and I said, no, hang on, before we go to break here, it's not, it's not a basketball match, you know, it's a chess match, mm-hmm. it's a tennis match, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not, it's a basketball game, right? Yeah. And then the guy went to break and he was sort of pissed, right? He's like, why did you do that, you know? You don't need to point out mistakes. That's how I started in radio, was sort of pointing out mistakes. Calling people out on their shit. Calling people out. Uh, you know, a guy would email that he wanted the team to trade, you know, to trade everybody. And I said, well, what do you do for a living? You know, 
mm-hmm. you're a plumber literally what, what do you know but you know nothing about hockey so don't tell me what you know and anyway that that thing sort of took on its own life that way we ended up doing crazy stuff on that show you know we had lesbians on monday morning to talk about their weekend and <laughs> who they knocked down that weekend yeah we had my 80 year old mother on doing nfl picks on friday Come on. yeah it was hilarious it was did she know anything about the league no 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 and and i guess we can we can tell it now but uh so we steve warren uh wrote the bits on the nfl and wrote them like a bookie Mm-hmm. So you, my mother picked three games. Her name's Barry. It was called NFL Barry Picking with Jungle's Game. <laughs> uh, so she came on and read this. We had to write it out. Steve wrote it all out. Mm-hmm. Uh, prolific knowledge of sports, you know, that Steve has. And uh, then we gave it to my mom at night, and she would rehearse it, and it came on in the, on the morning. And so I'm not lying. So when we first did this, she would pick the three games against the spread. Uh, so the first four weeks, she ends up going 11-1. and one. Which no one ever does, right? Yeah. Uh, so we, ne- no one ever knew that. Uh, you know, it was, you could tell it was written. You could tell she was reading it. Uh, Steve went out of his mind because he couldn't take claim to it because right. it was a bit, right. Know, right? And then my mother's walking through her golf club at a bridge game and gets run at by, you know, five or six torn down gamblers. You know, saying, "Barry, what's your pick for this?" Yeah, Sunday? we need you. We need you yeah. on our side. Anyway, hilarious thing. Uh, and a, and a bunch of other, we did dirty word spelling bee, all this other stuff that, that you would never, back in the day was uh, unique, mm-hmm. you know. Well, but I got shock value, right? Shock value, and I got to do that. Uh, I, I, I really, I'm, I'm not lying when I say it was just, it was pure luck that I had that 12 years on radio. Uh, I just happened to be in the right spot at the right time. There, there was that arena for that. You can't, you can't jump on Ched yeah. and go talk about shitting your pants in front of your grandmother, you know, by mistake. Yeah, or, absolutely. Uh, and, and really, if it, really what it was when I first started doing is I went to JR, uh, John Roberg, and said, look, I don't know what to do here. He said, look, at, you're lucky. You got this thing that radio stations look for, you know, and, uh, and you, it's sort of a natural thing for me. And, uh, and I really mean that. I, I didn't write very much. I didn't, you know, I had some experience about what's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but if JR doesn't buy into it and Steve doesn't buy into it, then you got nothing. Right. Then I had nothing. And, and th- those guys get all the credit in the world for the success of that show because they stood back when I would go on these crazy rants or mm-hmm. killing one of the other guys who's a, in the same company hosting a morning show on FM and burying him on his Twitter mm-hmm. posts. You know, The guy was Twittering a bunch of shit and, and, and I started talking about it and they would just back right up and they, they let me go uh, and they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've since come to learn that one of the difficult things in, in, in radio shows is everyone's fighting for their job, you know, right. that, that not a lot of guys are big at when the boss comes to them and says, okay, I'm bringing in another guy. And I didn't like it when I heard it. Uh, it's, it's, it's always been that way, I think. But uh, the show, you brought up shock value. And I think back in that day, there was no YouTube, right? There was no social media stuff, right? Mm-hmm. No YouTube, no online broadcast or any mm-hmm. of that stuff. So. Uh, it certainly was the only game in town uh, that people could tune in and go, okay, what the fuck is this guy going to say today? You yeah, know? it's like the random show. Right? Yeah. Did you guys have a mission for that show? Was there it was any- organized chaos, man. It was, that was yeah, all it was. Yeah, this, the host was great. Johnny and Steve was brilliantly funny mm-hmm. and uh, got a huge knowledge about sports. And then there was me uh, who just... The X Factor. Yeah, the X Factor, man. Yeah. They, they did the story, and then I would raise my hand. I got, I got something to say right. here, you know. Uh, so had you done the comedy bit before you ended up on the radio? You were doing that as a regular thing? Yeah. 
Yeah, I did. I, I started in comedy here. I hosted the side track. There was a bar called the side track here, and I hosted okay. the, the morning show. Or so you the bounced back show. and forth from the East Coast, East Side to West Side a little bit. like Yeah. So I moved here in the 80s okay. with Molson in the mid-80s and worked for Molson and then did a couple other gigs, but started getting into comedy. Started. What drew you to comedy in the first place? My father man, was hilarious. You know, really? He was a great joke teller and funny, and uh, I always loved that. I used to watch... Back in those days, they were called Man of the Hour Roasts with my dad. They were exactly that. You know, Dean Martin hosted these things, and, and I really got off on it. And I moved out here um, in 85, and I could always tell a joke. I was never shy about it. I could do accents and stuff like that. Shitty. I can do them, but think I can. Anyway, I went to a dinner. Wes Montgomery, you know, who was here for years, was emceeing the uh, CFL Coach of the Year dinner. And when I saw him, I said, that's what I want to do. And... Uh, so I ended up doing that. I ended up starting to host the, this comedy night, the sidetrack, and I got asked to do other gigs and, excuse me, MC golf tournaments, stuff like that. That's how it started. Mm -hmm. uh, I made a bit of dough back then, but I had always had another job. And then uh, I started doing it more full time. You know, I, uh, I got lots of support from people. And, uh, you know, I, I, I even tell guys today, you know, how do you know if you're any good at comedy, you know? and um, the best thing is not what you think is funny, but what the what they think is funny. Right. And, and a lot of guys don't do that. They just plow through thinking their shit's funny. Yeah. Um, so I, I kept stuff that people laughed at, and I, I changed whatever they didn't. Uh, anyway, I got started getting booked to do gigs, mm -hmm. um, and I did more and more. And some some years I ended up doing it full time almost when mm -hmm. I, I was a stay at home dad. But. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's how it started here, actually, and uh, and then I got offered that show, you know, and that was a life changer. Right. That, well, you got to have some type of tenacity and persistence to, to push through to get to that next level of comedy, right? Like it's consistently getting up there, being unafraid to bomb, being unafraid to revise your material. Like I can't imagine like what that would be like night after night when you're just getting started. Well, I will. I will disagree on something. I was fucking petrified of bombing yeah yeah I, I, yeah 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 I, I i never and i bombed i've bombed you know before and it was the worst feeling in the world you know but uh, i you know i i don't know what what uh what sort of kept it going i still get booked to do gigs uh, you know i'm getting older but um i you know what i did and still do a lot of this stuff is when i go do a sh do these shows is not so much I've seldom done one on stage and I go right down in the crowd. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're wearing something that I think is stupid, <laughs> I'm gonna say you're wearing a really stupid outfit. Mm -hmm. Sort of what guys are thinking anyway, you know? You know when a guy walks in the room and- Yeah, like uh, what's that guy's deal? Look at the freaking shoes on the guy, you know? Yeah. Norton. Uh, anyway, I, so I just really started to say what people were thinking. Right. I've always had that thing. I know what everyone's thinking. I've always had a quick, reaction like a quick wit mm -hmm. so that ended up being the the deal that i had on that radio show yeah uh, was that always positive or did, was that a detriment to you sometimes when the you know the right thing quote unquote right thing came to mind to say to really jab at someone but then you're like oh shit maybe i should, shouldn't have said that yeah i'll, I'll tell you an example what yeah I always knew exactly what I was saying. I mean, I was I was high and hung over and drunk a lot back then. And, uh, um, you know, I was late all the time for that show. I'd missed, I'd missed days that I just couldn't get out of bed, you know. And, uh, you know, and these guys tolerated that. Uh, and, and particularly, again, these, ho these hosts, you know, who, uh, 
uh, I don't know, they must have been pissed, you know, uh, about that. But, um, you know, the gay pride parade was on in Ottawa. Okay. And this show that we did was all guys. You know, it was all, it was chauvinist sports radio. It was like your basement where it's yeah. supposed to be a safe place, but they're just having a microphone yeah, the whole thousands of people. The guy who designed the show or the, it was this guy, Mark Mayhew, who said, this is what I want this to be, is three guys sitting at a bar talking about what happened in sports that day or the day before, right. which they always do. And you end up talking about broads, mm -hmm. you know, you end up talking about women. That's, that's, that was the sort of short and long of that show. Um, I said, but you know, I saw the floats in those parades, you know, I went down, I brought the kids and uh, you know, a lot of those floats are guys with, you know, a leather speedo on and a ball gag and uh, you know, or, or, or whatever. And if I'm a, if I'm a, normal or, or you know if i work nine to five and i'm a lawyer for example and i'm gay but i'm not out yeah but i'm thinking of coming out yeah if i go down to watch the parade to check it out maybe you know maybe stand back three or four people mm -hmm. to check it out mm -hmm. if that's the first thing i see and i'm a shirt and tie guy i ain't coming out okay <laughs> i ain't coming out right so 100 no, percent. that's like so, the most extreme of the extreme part yeah. of that 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 demographic so these two guys are you know that John and Steve were like okay uh, you know whatever and then I ended up saying and because John said well wait a minute Jim you know this guy could roll these yeah. guys both knew how to roll with this like I say gave me this opportunity he said what if your son was gay and I said of course this was all on air and I said well if my son was gay I would love him slightly less than the other children right <laughs> so so that's what this sort of show ended up being sometimes mm -hmm. uh, uh, and it had, and it, it certainly had that success, but it worked because of the, the dynamic, uh, and really again because of luck, and really because those those other two guys said, "Look, we can we can go with this, right?" Because they, they it could have certainly gone other ways, yeah. you know. Like, you know, a guy can just cut you off, right? Mm -hmm. Do something. Like that. Well, we're in a really interesting climate right now because you've got the continual sort of one-uppedness of comedy of things you know of outrage and, and shock value like yeah. things that things that we were shocked by five years ago we barely bat an eyelash That's at right. nowadays right That's right but at the same time you've got also sort of coming from the other side is the outrage mob of you can't say anything now right and and you're gonna get lambasted for for saying any you know making a joke you know whether it's about gays or or whether it's about you know school shootings or things like that, like it's I don't know if you saw what happened to Louis C.K. Sure, recently. of course. Yeah. Well, he had his big thing, whatever it was, a year and a half ago, and then he just came out and did another uh, smaller segment that got leaked. Did you hear that one? No. Oh, so he you know, so he gets the sexual harassment charge. Yeah. Or, or claims. Yeah. Yeah. And then Done. he, he no, goes underground gone. for yeah. a year, hides, does whatever, foregoes millions of dollars, but then just recently, like a week and a half ago, did a set that got leaked. And, you know, he's after millennials, he's after the outrage nation, he's after, you know, these kids that are standing up in Congress. He's like, he says, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, we were just getting fucked up and having fun, right? And he's like, the one thing I was excited about to get older was to watch these idiot kids act like buffoons. And I don't even get that anymore because you've got them standing in front of Congress saying, I'm offended and yeah, you yeah. need to address me as so-and-so. And, and so he, and he took a, he took a pot shot at school shootings, not directly at that, but he said, what, you think you're special because you were at a school that got shot up? Wow. Talking about this kid. And so it's funny that you've got like outrage pushing the envelope constantly, but at the same time, you've got people getting more and more offended at things that 
that have always kind of been okay in the comedy realm. Yeah, like you're right. Back then, there was a li- there was a life to this sort of shock thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, when I was on that radio show in Ottawa, uh, th- there were, there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram, you know. Mm-hmm. Back then, there was no YouTube. There was uh, no echo chamber. Yeah, there was. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, what we said had you know, whenever I went offside with something, uh, when we talked about. Uh, you know who's plowable you know which news girl is the most plowable uh, of course at other stations right yes yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and once in a while into our own station that that shit was was not done anywhere you know right. there there wasn't a, like I said earlier not an arena for it mm-hmm. that day's over you know that day's Cause you, you gotta be way more intelligent about it yeah you know saying fuck now is just you know it's almost has no no uh, oomph you know, mm-hmm. I see a guy on Twitter here, a local radio guy here who loves to get on there and drop the F-bomb off. It, it just, it's too easy, you know. It's too easy. It's an easy adjective now. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, you know, that you're, you're going you're gonna to be able to hear something on the radio. You're going to hear it 10 times more offensive if you flip on an email or email yeah. or YouTube or Twitter or right. Instagram. Well, on podcasts now where there's yeah. no censorship, right? No censorship. So... You know, that's the, this Louis C.K. guy, uh, my, my guy's Bill Burr now. I saw him when yeah. he was here. Uh, those guys are highly intelligent mm-hmm. when they looked at, if I'm going to do something here, Bill Burr, for example, his opening jokes are, and very funny, mm-hmm. are handicapped people, racism, uh, spousal abuse, mm-hmm. and uh, homosexuality. Mm-hmm. All very hot. Who the fuck hot sits hot down? Issues. Who the fuck sits down and says, okay, I'm going to knock this out here. I'm going to do, you know, that. But so you better know what you're doing and, and how he, you know, Bill Burr's just absolutely brilliantly funny. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, come, he comes on and goes, speaking again, he goes, what's everyone all up in arms here about the gay marriage thing? Right. You know, who, like, who cares? Who cares if they get married or mm-hmm. not? Right. Which is fine. And then he goes on to say, I mean, they're not going to get into heaven anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that guy's brilliant. You right. That's, that guy's brilliant. So if you want to do shock, mm-hmm. you better be really smart about it because yeah. t- tons of people are doing it. You know, tons of people are doing it. Where do you think the intent comes in? Like, you know, if it's if it's not meant to offend someone, like the example I always kind of think of is, you know, sometimes you casually refer to someone as, oh, the black guy. And it's like people kind of, some people kind of twinge and they go like, can you call someone a black guy? It's like, well, he's black. Or brown guy. Or brown guy. I mean, it gets weird when you say yellow for, for Asian yeah, yeah. or red for Indian, but like for some reason, and I couldn't tell you why, but like, is that black guy over there racist? And I'm like, not in a, not in the slightest is it racist to me because there's no intent. There's no intent for me to refer to him as something different from me because that that's because of the color of his skin other than I'm identifying him as like, hey, that guy over there versus, oh, the guy with the, the dark hair and dark features. It's like, well, no, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the, like when I worked at that radio show, the, the lunch they had a lunch counter there run mm-hmm. by a couple. Mm-hmm. I think who were from Lebanon, maybe. I'm, you know, I should have probably known that, but I used to call them the foreigners. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, what, what are the foreigners serving up today? What's the special? You know, right. and John would go, really, Jim, do we have to? John was the guy behind the counter, or this is the guy you worked with? No, the guy I worked with, the on air guy, you know, and Steve was like, oh, I, I don't, I do, really? Do you have to? It was, it was funny. You know, it was funny. I, I didn't, it's not offensive. Right. The guy's a foreigner, you yeah. know. Uh, um, 
I don't know what's offensive anymore. You know, I, I really don't. I'm not sure. Uh, I guess when, if you don't care, then it doesn't really matter, right? Like if you're if you're your authentic self, if you're not, if you're taking pot shots at everyone, then no one can be offended. Yeah, the true. I listen, listen. I was talking earlier about it's what really people are really thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know. I watched the show You the other day on Netflix. You, you isn't that one? I just saw a headline for it saying it's like really messed up. Really it's a messed up show. Yeah, the guy. Uh, in the end, this guy, he was a, like a stalker, serial killer. I don't want to give anything away. But uh, it's for millennials, probably for the younger crowd. Okay. But really what this guy ended up doing is his his first girlfriend is he, she she fell, her phone fell out of her pocket. Uh, mm -hmm. She couldn't find it because he took it. Yeah. And kept it in his okay. pocket. She got a new phone, but he could see her text oh, and everything. Okay. Yeah. And... It's sort of when I watched it, it's like, okay, this would be crazy here, right? So right. every time she's texting, he's wondering about her, the trust issues and all that shit. It's really what everyone really would like to be able to do. Yeah. They really would want us. Let me see that four years, you know. You uh, think so? I just think if you're in a, I don't know, I put a lot of thought in this. And I think if you're in a position where you're questioning, say it's a girlfriend, you're questioning what she's doing, then the relationship's fucked to begin with, right? Like... I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm not the barometer here on relationships, but, but you've got me on to something here about social media, okay? Yeah. And I, I fucking hate, the, I, I hate a lot of the stuff that I see like on, what, for on example? Facebook, okay? Here's the deal, okay? So dude comes on, Shane, okay? Uh, comes on Facebook like a lot every time and says, I, uh, I want to wish my wife uh, a happy birthday. Mm -hmm. She is the most beautiful the best, the best wife any guy could ever want. She's absolutely outstanding. There's no one like her. She's, excuse me, she's my rock. She's my everything. She's the best. No, she's not. Okay? If I see one more fucking post like that, your wife is not the best, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, what are you compensating? Well, listen, there's six billion people on earth. Mm -hmm. Let's say, I don't know, half of them are women. I don't know what the ratio is. Three billion. Let's say half of those are wives mm -hmm. or let's say there's a billion wives. Okay. Okay. So your wife is really the top billion. You yeah, know? Uh, she's the one. This yeah, hundredth percentile. Yeah, let's. What, if you came on and said, "Look, at, I want to give. I, I really want to shout out to my wife. She's the she's top seven hundred and fifty thousand in the world." You know, <laughs> um, you know the other whole thing with the that people, you know, showing me every freaking twenty minutes of their trip, what they're eating at a restaurant, what the the cruise ship that they're on, the you know I read the other day. So that, that's all we get to see. I don't give a shit. I don't care about what you're fucking eating for dinner. I don't, I don't care. You know, stop putting pictures of your kids on there. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care. Mm -hmm. Somehow, someone who came up with this idea that you're going to get to tell people all about your day mm -hmm. uh, and you're going to think that they're interested in it is fucking bizarre. It's right. bizarre. If I came to your house, Shane, and all of a sudden, like in the old days, you showed videos, or yeah. way back when it was home Slide movies. shows and shit Yeah, so like sit that. down, Shane. Glad you and your wife are here. We're going to whip through 150 fucking slides <laughs> of our trip to Hawaii. You're going to pull up lame, man. You're going to go, I got a kidney stone. The, the guy who designed the Zuckerman, whoever thought of the social media thing, Instagram and Twitter and whatever, Spotify, whatever else there is. Um, Spotify... It's a music service. Oh, music. Music <laughs> okay. It's, so, it's relatively new. Okay. So what, what's happening is, is people are acting like they are celebrities. Mm -hmm. Okay? 
Shaq O'Neal, I think I remember, was one of the first guys to, to jump onto Twitter. And I remember to this day, he was at an In-N-Out Burger joint in the States and went on Twitter and said, hi, everyone, I'm at In-N-Out Burger. Mm-hmm. Why don't you drop by and say hello? Yeah. Well, fuck, a thousand people ended up coming. It's Shaq O'Neal. Mm-hmm. I get it. I don't understand June and Bob Gallardo, who are who are whipping a bunch of stuff up there about their families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't give me this bullshit that, well, no, it's a nice way for me to get to my family. No, it isn't. Put them on an email stream and stuff like that. But the interesting thing is tons and tons of people do it. Mm-hmm. I've fallen into that trap myself a little yep. bit with, with popping my kids on there once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but where, where, where did all this happen? That, they, that everyone thinks they have a bunch of shit normal shit that everyone else wants to hear about it when you, you know what i mean well there's two things all right first is if you want if you don't want to see it you just block them you just don't see this content from this person but i love to hate them i got i know i, I know but it's that it's that self-flatulate self-flatulation of like i just like getting myself riled up right the second thing is that people do care right like we're we're social creatures we're we're wired to want to know what the people in our tribe are doing now the thing with social media is it's disconnected us from our immediate like 150 people that might be physically surrounding us and connected us to the other 8 billion people on the planet so now you've got also and and couple that with the fact that we're now in the most prosperous time in human civilization where we're no longer dying from starvation, disease, all these things that used to kill us by the age of 50 for the most part. Right. So we're living longer. We have less like worries about shelter, food and um, and education. So now we're having to manifest all these other issues to worry about and couple that with us comparing our lives to these other people. It's really bad what's happening. It's an unreal and untrue comparison chain. Mm -hmm. Okay. What would you, let's take for example, the fucking guys from the Ottawa Senators, the four of them get caught in an Uber, right? Everyone, this story went rapid. Yeah. Tearing down their coaches. Like a lot of guys do anyway, yeah. right? We've seen it before. I mean, yeah. your, your 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 dad was a player. You yeah. know, you probably heard off the record. Of course. You know, the, so that became viral, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, now, are you going to, if you have a choice, are you going to weigh into that to see what they said? Or are you going to flip on uh, a Barb and Ernie and their kids' trip to freaking St. Lucia? Yeah, well, that's okay. more compelling because it's... It's not a real side of them, man. It's not... It, you know, it's it's who Bob and Ernie or the players? Bob and Ernie's not yeah. real. Yeah. You know, this isn't your life, right? Okay, this isn't your life. But that's fine. I just that's fucking real. I just unfollow them because I don't give a shit about them, right? I don't need to see nineteen pictures of their kids. But they or do like it. You said, but they do it, and that's fine. If they want to throw it, it out in the universe and me just ignore it, perfect. But I'm sure there's someone on there watching, like like Betty, great grandma Betty, who just got a computer for the first time in her life. I'm sure she's looking at that and going like, oh, this is so nice. I can actually see these kids. Maybe. maybe. So it just doesn't scale, right? You're right. The average person, you or me, doesn't give a shit about that. If Angelina Jolie put a picture of her kid on there saying, I'm so proud of uh, uh, Kagluli, okay, Mm -hmm. who she adopted, that he uh, got a home run in his first baseball game. Right. That's interesting. People, it's Angelina Jolie. Of course, because she's who she is. I never knew that about her kid. You know, that... uh, you know, I read something the other day that the people, there's a huge incidence and a high rate of depression mm-hmm. that people who look at Facebook. Yep. It's, cor- it's, cor- it's correlated. Yeah. Sure. Because they look at, they look at their life. You know, what's more realistic, what's more realistic to me is, um, uh, I'm 
20 pounds overweight. You know? 20? 20 in the gut, you know? You don't so, that big. No, well, I have 50, right? Okay. So I like to put up, really the real thing is the deprecating thing. Yeah. I'm a fat bastard. Okay. And here I am sweating on the treadmill. The truth, what other people are thinking. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's fucking life. Talk to me in the morning when you're trying to get your kids to school and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse in this thing, but I love to hate it. You know, mm-hmm. I get you can block and all that stuff. But I love to see it. You know, here she fucking goes again yeah. with, with all the shit that no one cares about, yet they're acting like they are Brad Pitt or Julia Roberts mm-hmm. or whoever, you know, or some rapper or something. But here's the thing with, here's the, thing with the depression um, study that you just mentioned. Is it's still unclear based on the literature whether it's Facebook and, and watching social media that causes depression or are people predisposed to depression already reaching out there? And is that depression caused because they don't have other shit going on in their lives? Like, who are the most happy people you know? It's the people who probably are just focusing on their lives and their family and, and not worrying about all the other shit that's going on. They're just doing things that make them happy. And what are you not doing when you're doing that? You're not looking at other people's social media. Well, there's two sides. Well, that's curious. One is this thing of people who look at Facebook, mm-hmm. okay, whose lives are shit, mm-hmm. okay, who got a tough life, who got tough, you know, uh, hard jobs, you know, minimum wage jobs. There's that whole angle about mm-hmm. what are they doing, to, why are they looking at it. The other one is who's posting. Mm-hmm. And what are they posting, right. right? And let's talk about those insecurities, right? You know, that's where intent is really important. Like, and I think it affects everyone from the person who's got five followers to five hundred million followers, right? Like, what is your intent to post this? For a lot of those celebrities, like Conor McDavid, it's just advertising. Like his social media is not him, yeah, right. It's just Adidas or CCM right, 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 or whoever. Right. But then you've got I understand that though. Yeah, that's almost acceptable to me. I get it. Yeah, I get it. You know. But then you've got girls who are posting, you know bikini shots with them on the beach on their holidays where they're sticking their ass out and puffing yeah. their lips up and it's like what's your intent here your intent is not to show how much fun you're having on vacation your intent is clearly to get people to pump your tires based on how you look in your picture that's right right i understand the chick who does it now who this came out of nowhere and that she's making dough on youtube right okay but i guess t- i get it more than i get making money than are the people who are doing the selfie thing right is I, I, get off get off that it, it's you're not a celebrity your twitter is littered with selfies mine no no i don't have my no not really yeah no no you can look at my twitter I, my yeah, twitter the like, selfie i was gonna bring your selfies up actually i did i did some stuff i get all excited about wayne right to go back <laughs> i get all excited but but it's obnoxious you know of it's course obnoxious. and it's, exactly what i'm saying the intent yeah so i say it you know yeah like DJ started, you know, the PGA started up again and Dustin Johnson played and then I have a picture of me and him. So, you know, whip up there. Time for a little obnoxious, I know DJ yeah. shit and stuff like of that. Of course. But uh, how is that different than what other people are doing? I've put pictures of my kids up there. Yeah. I've done, uh, you know, if the selfie I'm doing is, you know, here's my fat face. You know, I don't right. know. It looks like I'm shoving my face in a campfire, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> like I spent years in vat of boiling oil or whatever I put up there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, why, uh, the other day, I don't know, it was like, why do they always ask me put, if I want my milk in a, in a bag? Right. You know, and then a little rant. You know, right. Like, like so shit that, like that. But, so it's fun. I think it's funny. I, I think I know funny a little bit and put it up there. But mm-hmm. I, it, it's, it's certainly interesting to me, the, the psychology mm-hmm. behind people who look at Facebook yeah. who get sucked into that board. I've done yeah. it myself. Uh, but more interesting are the people who do it, yeah. these fucking selfies. And I'm sure any psychologist would love to get their teeth in there and go, 
what the fuck's wrong with you? What's the underlying deal here? You know, well, the, well, they are, right? Litany of selfies. They are. Like, there's a whole generation of new psychologists coming up who grew up with this that understand it better than the old guard who, who kind of inherited it. Like, the new psychologists who are coming into the workforce have yep. grown up with it. They, they've been in it, so they kind of understand it better. Now, does that make them better poised to to study it? Maybe not. Maybe it's confounding because they grew up with it, so they can't get a sort of objective view of it. But there is... You know, everyone's got a different purpose. Some people do it for um, for the you know for the likes, for sort of pumping their tires, for the ego boost. Some people do it for business. Like you know, it's good for your brand if you have a personal brand to show yourself always doing fun, exciting things. Now, the people who really get social media also post the shitty, boring parts of their job to say, "Look, I'm just like anyone else. Ninety five percent of what I do sucks, but the five percent is really." But they really don't want cool. to tell people. That. No, but the people but really real. smart do. That's fucking real. The they guys in the Uber there. getting nailed. Yeah. The guy, when someone does a video of a guy, you know, yelling at his kid or something on the street, or, or I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, I, I'll rest my case on this, because okay. is why it's fucked up. The I agree with you, by the Facebook, way. Facebook, okay? fucked up. Here's why it's, where I, it's totally proven that it's way fucked up because filters, okay? okay? So now, bro. Talking about picture filters. That's right. Okay. So now it's like here I am with my girlfriends. We're in Miami or the girls' trip, or we're at fucking Spago's in L.A. With, you know when they hold the phone. <laughs> Definitely up. not it. They're the all book. showing their you know their boobs and ass and all that stuff. But now they whip the filter on. There. Yeah. Okay. You can tell it, right? This porcelain, smoky look, and all that yeah. shit. That's how fucked up it is. So, so now it's not even you. So what I would but you're claiming it's you. Of course. But what okay. I would say to that is good. Now I can see the fucked up ones out there, right? It's 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 an indicator. It's it's like saying, hey, I'm fucked up because not saying that anyone who uses a filter is fucked up. I'm sure there's all sorts of reasons. But I'd rather know who the people are out there speaking and, and doing these outrageous things so I can say, okay, good, I'm gonna ignore you, right? It's well, the same thing as free speech and people, you know coming out as neo-Nazis and, and, and the government saying, oh, we're not going to allow people to, to speak anything that's that's totalitarianism or communist. It's like, no, no, no. You need to let them to speak that way so we know who the crazies are. It's so fucking know- crazy. <laughs> What's next, Shane? That someone, someone, there's a picture of a guy climbing a mountain in Nepal and yeah. they take a shot of it and go, that's me? So, and it's not? So Yeah, you know? but everyone's you know? going to know, right? So it's up to you as a social human being to know what you can and what you can't get away with. It's a fucking movie, okay? It's a movie. It's, it's, it isn't real. That's not really what you look like. Yeah. That's not really how you spend your day. It's Anyway, it's I'm not gonna, tired of it. I love to hate it. It's going to get worse. I love to hate it. I tell it. you. But uh, what we haven't addressed is the positive side of it well i'll tell you what that being said that being said i like to talk about that shit i love doing this back and forth on it i'd love to tell my real side is i think everyone's fucked up from doing that and i don't care yeah i don't care you got to stop doing that you know and think about it and think about i don't care about where you fucking ate your salad now i'm gonna get to do that with russ courtney of course okay the stuff that we're you guys are gonna hit all the contemporary topics we're gonna hit a russ and I, did we talk about this yet no well you mentioned that you're gonna start it but you haven't really given us the gist of it yet yeah so Russ Courtney Fomey, uh, retired NHLer down in LA, and uh, a friend of his is going into the podcast business, which is really intriguing to me because we need to have someone market these podcasts like yours and like the one I did. But uh, and and the one I'm going to do with Russ is a, so we're tied into a company that's going to promote it mm-hmm. and and market it, and uh, they're called Global Traffic Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, that's that's totally exciting. I went down to meet them. 
because I always said, look, and I, we can come up with the content, uh, but who's who's pitching it? Who's marketing it? Right. So uh, that's coming up. We're going we're to start to do that in two or three weeks. Uh, so I'll be spending my time doing that. And so, uh, you know, with that, other than the big fuck you paycheck, what else do you expect to get from it? Uh like what's your well, I, well, I what miss do you want the, to do here, Jim? Yeah, I, I miss, you know what? I wish I was in radio, to be honest with you. I miss that show in radio. I'm jealous that uh, I can't be on there. Um, if, you know, if I see one post a day, I see four or five from people saying, get back on that show. Right. Uh, I, I would love to do it. But those that day's gone by, uh, I guess. But I would. I always wanted to jump back on air there's no there's no jobs like doing those shows man there's no yeah. heavy lifting <laughs> it's three four hours a day yeah. personally i got i didn't have to do any prep uh lucky lucky again you know these guys did all that 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 work and i got to just react to it uh, it was just a fantastic experience you know um it was so so crazy uh that it worked well that i want to do that again you know and back in those days uh I was a drinker, drugger, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, um, I remember the guy phoning, calling me in the program director, going, "Hey, this shit where you're showing up late and stuff—that that's cool, that's cool, you know, keep that up." And, <laughs> you're you're like trying to sell sabotage, and you yeah. can't even. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I miss all that. Yeah. Uh, I, I got when I got let go in 2012. I like, okay, that day's sort of gone by, but now there's all these opportunities to to do right. it without having to get hired. Right. You can go make money at it. Do you uh, think? Do you think that you're going to have to sort of? reconceptualize what it is that you're going for because I don't know and maybe I'm just out to lunch here but it feels like if you try and recapture the magic of what you once had you're only setting yourself up for failure like it's you're always going to be comparing yourself to to three guys on the radio versus if you're like this is a new thing I you know it might have the same type of excitement but this is actually you know this is a new path for me yeah it, it's new in the sense of you know when I used to do the the radio show I, I mean I just walked in and reacted you know i've come since I've, I've come to a point to learn that i i think what makes a good show and this was taught to me by by jr is that what's the issue mm -hmm. okay what, what what is the issue today for example if we're here it would be the hit on Connor mcdavid mm -hmm. okay that's the issue uh what's everyone talking about what's everyone saying about the issue right uh, what do we think so you and I bring up this issue. Yeah. What do you think? Fucking, you know, the Hitchcock's going bananas. Yeah. The fucking league's got to get rid of the refs. What do you think, Shane, about it? What do I think? And then what do you think, the people out there, right. the people listening? Right. I'm ex I, I never did that before. I was never in that role. I was the guy who got to just, okay, Jim, what do you think about it? Yeah. So now it'll be a new challenge to come up with the issues, mm -hmm. uh, to host the show and get Russ to react to that. So you plan to do a lot more prep this time around. Which is all new fucking territory for me. So I am i shouldn't be hosting a show. Uh, I was always, I'm a way better second or third guy. Right. But I'm gonna, t that, that's the challenge when you're asking me about that. And so you and Russ are co-hosts. Co-hosts, that's right. So but, you're both gonna drive the content. That's right. Okay. That's right. But, but a lot of these things are host driven. You know, mm -hmm. you can't, you, um, so that'll be a huge challenge for me but that's when you're asking me what's the challenge that that's what it is and i'm dying to take that head on uh these days um but i'll tell you what to be honest with you i've never really spoken about this too much but um one of the great challenges i do now is i w i developed a huge uh drug and alcohol problem mm -hmm. back uh, most of my life uh that i had and and um i battled that for years from my mid-20s uh, for, for
for a long time, 20, 25 years. Uh, but I'm, I'm clean and sober over eight years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got sober in 2010. Um, that may, this may be news to the guys I worked with, actually, because I, I, I snuck away to treatment. Oh, really? And did the show from my apartment in treatment. So you just call in? Yeah. Well, that's how I did Are you not supposed to have a phone in those centers? Yeah, you're not, but I got an exception to do it. Um, anyway, I, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I spend a lot of, a lot of my time now uh, helping guys fight the good fight. Right. Helping guys try and recover from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never thought it would, uh, you know, I had to just look after my own self for a while, but um, I, it's it's a uh, just a wonderful, wonderful thing that I that I get to help with now. Mm-hmm. I get the guy, I get the guy who walks in and says, "I'm done here," you know, "I'm toast." Uh, right. I, I've it changed my life, mm-hmm. uh, and and there's nothing more rewarding than than helping other people with that, and there's nothing more heartbreaking when it uh, when you when it doesn't go that way. Right, die. Because it's such a con- nice. such a controllable element at the end of the day. Like you, you know, you can manifest whatever it is you want if you just make the right decisions. Addictions, of, you know, addiction is uh, something that most people are uneducated about. Mm-hmm. Like I was, I had no understanding of it, and uh, um, and now I do, and now I get to help the the guy who comes in with the the idea that. Uh, I can I can handle this myself. I'll mm-hmm. be able to get, get off this drug or booze. And the answer to that is no, you won't. Right. You've probably tried a million times. Uh, for example, one of the greatest things I've I've learned about addiction is that um, it's not how often you drink or use, mm-hmm. which a lot of people think it is, um, and it's not how much you drink or use. So that's one. That's two myths that need to be dispelled. Mm-hmm. Is um, a lot of people think, well, I only drink on weekends or I only or every couple of weeks like I did, you know, or I'm going to switch to beer. Um, and I only drink, I only have five or six last night or whatever. Right. Addiction is what happens to you when you do drink. Mm-hmm. That's what addiction is. That, that's, that's how you can tell if someone's addicted um, is when you do drink. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I black out. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, let's, let's talk about that. Right. <laughs> um, so anyway, but I get people the, who don't blackout could be the addicts as well, right? Yeah, you don't have to blackout. You know, I wasn't a blackout drinker, but but I had a huge problem. You know, I had a huge problem. I just could not stop. I could not stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, drugs are evil. You know, I was I was a cocaine guy, and it was it was evil because not everyone knows. They they sort of do, but don't want to talk about it. You certainly don't. You know, it took me many many years to face it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I'm almost. Emotional, uh, emotional about it. Uh, from where I was, from the dark place, from where I was, and uh, the loneliness of all that uh, is no longer, you know. That mm-hmm. that, uh, but it, but the poor guy who who is going through that same thing, you know, I understand that now, and. Uh, um, Anyway, it's a, it's a big part of my life. You know, I spend a lot of time doing that. And what's your what's your first step when you encounter a guy that you know is just whether it's verbally or not screaming out for your help? You know, how, you know the old adage is you know people got to want to get help before you can help them. So how do you approach that situation? Yeah, I'm in a, I'm in it right now with a guy. You know that we're we're trying to get him in into treatment, uh, trying to get him into detox. You know. Uh, 
that's true what you say is you can you can intervene uh, this is my experience by the way and what's been taught to me you know I, I, I'm not the inventor of addiction mm-hmm. recovery stuff but uh, and you know you can do whatever you think you get the family to interview you've seen that show intervention uh, uh, unless that guy comes crawling in mm-hmm. saying I need help then there's nothing you can do right they're not quite ready they're not ready for you even given all the given all the negative aspects of, of you know this these are going to be the results of you using mm-hmm. okay or, or is you're gonna lose your house you're gonna lose your family you're gonna go broke you're gonna get fired you know and if you haven't been it's yet it's gonna happen right. you know um, so I've come to learn you know that I'm a smoker still I smoke cigarettes uh, if negative consequences were enough to teach us life's hard lessons mm-hmm. well then there wouldn't be all sorts of things there wouldn't be pornography there wouldn't be fast cars mm-hmm. there wouldn't be junk food because that's a problem for future Jim or future Shane that's not a problem for me right now right that's why it's so hard to come to terms with these things that do us damage in the long term is because we're consistently making bargains with with our future it's self. addiction you can't help it mm-hmm. addiction is it's not your fault man you know a lot of people think it is right so um, you know whether you're whether you're born with it whether it's learned or nur- nature or, or nurture, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. So what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do today to get through this problem? You know, is, is so what's the number one thing that you advise people on, like to help them pull them out of this? I mean, obviously it's dependent on whatever substance that they're addicted to. And in most cases, it's probably a combination of multiple ones. But, you know, like at least to me, it seems like the most important thing is finding a meaning and a purpose in life that supersedes yeah eventually you know you know appreciate when when guys commit you know when guys start to face that problem when they when they walk into a room or or they begin to discuss with their family or a doctor this isn't something that they just want to try mm-hmm. that usually it's that, that they're at their wits end mm-hmm. that they're close to suicide you know that right. they're so when they come in uh, you know the best the best thing for them is hey i hear you mm-hmm. i love you yeah. Come on, man. I'm gonna, I understand. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk with you through this thing, you know. So, that's, uh, you know, the the advice that you give these people is, uh, it's not your fault, man. Yeah. It's not your fault. It's time to it's time to get over that. Your self esteem's done. Your your value system shot. Yeah. You know. Well, that's, I think, why it's so important to have guys that have gone through it and they make the most effective coaches or mentors or teachers, however you want to frame it. Mm-hmm. You know, guys like yourself, Theo Fleury, Brian McGrath now with the Flames, mm-hmm. Brant Myers, all these guys have gone through things and it's like, I'm here for you. I understand. I've been there. Yep. And yes, I don't understand your exact situation, but here are the things. Let me talk about my shit. And when you open yourself up and I think to be vulnerable to other people and say, let me, let me put my shit out there mm-hmm. and then let's see if there's anything in there that you pick up that you resonate on it. And then let's build the dialogue from there. Yeah. It, you know, so got a lot of guys, right. Who exactly Shane, a lot of guys come in and say, so, so how did you do it? You know, first of all, first of all, you get this trust factor, right? You, you meet the guy, they go, they hear that you're, you're clean and sober and I'm like, fuck guys, really Jerome. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you get this connection, a trust, that they're gonna, it's not just a cop or it's not a wife saying, you gotta sober up or the things are done, right? Uh, that's whole different, but, uh, so we get to connect. And uh, then there becomes this beautiful curiosity where they say, how, do, how are you doing this? Yeah. How are you doing this? So for me, uh, for me, it's, it's through a 12 step program uh, that I do it with. There's other, there's other options out there, but um, 
the main thing is the main thing is I get to tell them how I did it. Mm-hmm. I get to explain that, and you too can can try this if you want. You know, uh, um, that's the advice. You know that 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 you're giving guys, but there's suggestions. You know, for these people, it's a long, hard battle. You know, mm-hmm. quitting drinking and drugs, Shane, is a is a really, really hard thing to do mm-hmm. if you're addicted. It's a really it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, you know, the success rate with people trying to get clean or sober, and you know, to get a year of all those who try. Mm-hmm. To get a year sober is, I don't know, five percent, ten. I don't know. For sure, it's ten, fifteen percent. Well, in the society now, we have is built around social drinking, right? Yeah, addiction is rapid, you know. Um, and the drugs are getting scarier and worse and worse and worse and more addictive and killing more people. Uh, they're cheaper. Mm-hmm. It's cheaper to get it. And, um, now, backing up for a sec, but those who do get sober a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes up to like sixty percent the success rate of them staying sober. It goes right. it goes way up if you can. So that year mark, you can grind out that year. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and so having gone through that, was the first year did it every consecutive month of sobriety bolster your sort of your foundation and say, hey, I've made it three months, and then I've made it six months, and the further you get into it, the less likely you are to relapse. I was or, a daily user. Yeah. You know, I was a daily user. So I remember when I first went to treatment, it took me a couple of cracks when I first went. In the early 2000s, uh, walking in there to that treatment center, I, I got busted by, I, th- I think my wife, uh, you know, found a rolled up bill in my pocket and off I went. So it's not the best reason to go for someone else. Right. You know, ultimately it has to be about you. Um, uh, when I went in there, I forget what you'd asked me. Uh, oh, I was just asking if every month, every consecutive day, oh, every right. so, month makes it easier because you're like, well, look, I've already gone three months not drinking or using drugs. Well, there's no way I'm going to do it now. Yeah, when like, I went, what's the most volatile period? So when I went in there, I said, no matter what you guys tell me, the first night I was in there, it's a, it was a residential men's facility, mm-hmm. locked down 30 days. Uh, I sat in that couch crying saying, okay, I don't care what you guys tell me. I get it. I've been to meetings i've talked to counselors i've done all this stuff no matter what i will not ever be able to not use mm-hmm. no matter what really you had zero faith in yourself it's, very, it's too addictive you know i said that that was the most honest i could be yeah most honest i'd ever that's been. that's the best place to start though. most honest i ever been i'm gonna i mean there's no way nothing and there was a guy there who sat beside me and put his arm on my shoulder and said don't worry about that yeah don't worry about that uh we don't, we, you know, let's, let's just get you through tonight mm-hmm. and then let's talk about this tomorrow morning. Right. You know, uh, let, let's take this in much smaller days at a time instead of, uh, I, I mean, I was, first time I got out, right? I worked, I got sober 30 days and then I got out and was feeling great. But I never had a follow-up deal. You know, mm-hmm. you, need, you need an exit strategy right, of when course. you come out of treatment. Because well, uh, when you think of it lifelong, that's daunting. You're like, holy shit, the rest of my life, nothing? Like, it's, that yeah. seems impossible. But if you take it, you know, I think a month, six months, a year at a time, whatever it is, like... Yeah, when you're first doing it, you're just hanging on for dear life, right? right. You're, you're white, not, that's why treatment worked for me as a junkie, recovered junkie and alcoholic, uh, that you need, to, you need the policing of it. Mm-hmm. The, so the white knuckling, you know, you're in a, you're in a safe environment, medical mm-hmm. help is there. So that's the best way, but but it's like it's like planning your in your financial future, you know. So I went to a seminar on financial planning. I feel great. We're going to mm-hmm. do this. But if you come out, 
and don't have some sort of plan in right. mind, right? And yeah, it makes perfect sense. Sobriety is like that. If you, yeah. if, you, if, you don't, if you don't have some sort of plan, some sort of uh, acceptance of this is going to be a way of life, yeah. uh, you, I don't think you'll last. I don't think you'll last. Yeah. So you did two years on the radio before the show got canceled, or before you got removed from the show, uh, sober. Is that right? 2010 to 2012? Yeah, yeah. Good, yeah, good so math. Was that, was that more challenging to do it? With a clear head, was it easier? Well, I went to treatment first in the early two thousands. I went to, you know, uh, I remember, you know, I I'd been up sometimes. My record, I think, I was up for six days. You know, doing that six days straight with no sleep. Yeah. With the assist, you know, uh, to stay awake. Uh, I was getting, you know, my health wasn't very good, and uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. Now, all the shit about how great I am in radio and how good everyone else was. Radio is all ratings based, you know. Yeah. Like. If the ratings are no good, that, there's no story here. So right. I, I remember, that I, you know, the ratings were big. They come out in spring and fall. And I was going, fuck, man, what am I going to do here? I can't, I can't live like this. I'm going to die, yeah. you know, and die. Snorting cocaine, drinking a bottle of Zambuca. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the ratings were coming out. They come out on the same day around the country. Yeah. And it's a huge day, uh, you know, because everyone wants to know how their show of is. Of course, yeah. Just like down, you know. And all the management loves it because bonuses kick in. So it's a tense day. And the ratings came out. And I remember, I didn't know what they were. And I remember my boss phoning me when when I was in the lowest of lows of how am I trying to manage my life here? Right. With, you know, how am I going to get through the day here high and drunk, you know? And he phoned, called me in, and he said, "Uh, I don't know what you're up to, Jim. You know, and I was, my eyes were closing, right? Because the show was over. He said, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever it is, Keep it up, partner. Fuck. Keep it up, because oh. we're we're our you know the ratings went up. Right? Oh my and I god! Said, How am I going to do this? You know. So uh, anyway, the the way I got into treatment, I had a I had a six month deal with them or something like that. And he said, okay, and you, are you going to need holidays with this or something? And with this six month, you know. And I I ended up saying I was fearful, right, that I was I was going to harm myself, uh, you know, through an accidental harming of of using so much drugs right. and booze. And I ended up sort of saying when I had the door, when he opened the door, I said, well, I may have, I'm waiting for some results. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for some results. And he said, for what? I said, I don't know, but I might need some time off. Right. That night I got annihilated and I phoned him the next day and said, uh, you won't believe it. I got to take a month off. You know, yeah. I was lying, but I'd phoned a treatment center the night before. And the guy said, no, no, that's stress. Are you not stressed out? And yeah. That's how I got in there. And then I phoned him two days later and said, I'm in a substance abuse treatment facility. Jesus. So. That's how I. That's how I first got in there. You know? Right. Yeah, that was in early, but I never. I lasted about a year, mm-hmm. and I started living the lie yeah. again. So, and you know, how much is it? How much is your life improved now that you no longer have to lie about that? Like you know, the shame of of not telling people the truth or little fibs, even little white lies. You know, just absolutely build barriers between people and make you they they further exacerbate that isolation and that loneliness. Oh. Yeah. Now, how much has it improved? Uh, improved my life. Uh, okay. This this seems. It's a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent. I was trying to think if it's eighty or you know or, it's it's more than fifty. Um, you know, it, you know, drinking drinking and using is is about uh, for me was about three hours of reward, mm-hmm. and about eight days of shit. Right eight days of shit man and uh the problem was the craving you know you couldn't when you're addicted but it's it is you know i'm funnier when i'm trying to be funny mm-hmm. 
I'm I'm available. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've got. Um, uh, you know, my my ex-wife is going through some health issues, and I'm available to help her. Uh, you know, I see my kids every day. Mm-hmm. Literally, I do. I live around the corner from. Uh, I live five minutes from. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know, I'm more responsible. Right. Uh, so it's 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 the only way to go. You know, well, people always think that you know having fun feels good, but you know, I think what really feels good is is taking up the responsibility and the challenges that life present you and meeting those head on and, and succeeding and, and, you know, finding, finding meaning and finding purpose to, yeah. you know, I was, I was lost for a couple of years and things that I didn't really want to do. And, you know, would go out and, you know, what you said about drinking on the weekends, you know, how much you drink doesn't necessarily make you an alcoholic. It's more the intent and why you're doing it. It's, you know, I was in a bad place for a while too. of just like, what am I doing here? I, I'm not working at a job I like. I'm going out and just getting blasted on the weekends. Like I, something's got to give here. Right. And for me, luckily it did. Um, and, you know, so I experimented with not drinking and I went 10 months. The only reason it didn't go a full year was simply because I went to Europe with a girlfriend that I was yep. seeing at the time. And it was like, well, I'm not going to not have wine in Europe, right? So, but in that 10 months, <laughs> in that 10 months, and I never planned to go forever, right? It was just like, let's reevaluate your, your, your relationship with alcohol and let's just see what it's like on the other side of that. Let's just get a taste of that. And like, I, it was invaluable because I also bartended part-time. So right. instead of you know having shots with the customers during my shifts, I'm now telling them how good I feel, how much weight I lost that I didn't even know I had on me, how much energy I had, how I was spending all this free time that I used to spend out at the bars now doing productive things like reading and, and, you know, fostering relationships. And they're like, wow, that's so amazing. Good for you. Like sitting at the bar, can I get another pint? Yeah. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it was really hard to actually to reconcile that of like, here I am preaching about like the benefits of sobriety to these people. And, and I, I'm still serving them. Like, do I feel right about right, that? Right, right, right. Right. It's challenging, but you know, everyone needs something different at different points of their lives. And, you know, hopefully at least that, inundated me into a place of trust with them that they could think maybe a year down the line like man that guy was on to something well listen I'm, I'm involved in, in raising money for a sober place that we have here in Edmonton mm-hmm. okay uh, we do it at a casino okay so this is a place to have to you know where it houses stuff for addiction and, and you have to rate to keep it running mm-hmm. we, we you know I, I guess um, you know only you know people out there only they know if they have a problem with booze listen Shane you and I know tons and tons of people that have a problem with alcohol mm. you know or drugs right uh, uh, I know lots of guys that need help with it or probably should try and get help with it uh, but they're not ready mm-hmm. uh, the problem with that addiction is it shows up uh, you know there's about a thousand different ways it show, uh, denial shows up in people's lives mm-hmm. you know uh, I'm not saying you have a problem I, I don't know only you know you know like a lot of times a guy says well I don't have a problem with it well one of the things you do is say okay if you don't go a month without drinking yeah right that was big for me to be able logically to then if you don't have a problem you, and the guy well, well I, 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 yeah. I, 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 well they say well because I don't have a problem I don't need to do that it's yeah. like all right well that's a that's a slippery slope you're walking there maybe yeah yeah maybe you know uh, um, so uh, I don't know what to what to tell people about. <laughs> well, the thing is, there's no there's no hard fast answer. Like you said, it's different for everyone. Everyone needs something different, and everyone's at a different point in their life. 
yeah. right? So the important thing is that there's people talking about it, not just saying it's okay, but also saying here, if you acknowledge that it's okay and other people go through that, that then here's what you can do about it. Yeah, it, you know, to be honest with you, I've always, I've never felt, I've, I never really belonged. You know, I was sort of the odd guy out at school. Uh, expectations were really high on me and I knew I could never do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that, that doesn't make my parents right or wrong or any of that childhood shit that goes on. Um, but I always, I was lucky, for example, doing the comedy thing or the great run in radio, lucky to, to meet those two guys who, who did the show. All that stuff was luck. Uh, so I've never really felt totally confident about, I'm a fuck up financially, mm-hmm. you know, from, from all that stuff. So I'm, I'm a fuck up with relationships. I'm not, you know, if I do the math, it was always me that, that mm-hmm. screwed them up. So I'm in no position to 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 give advice or judge on any of that stuff uh, what i'm really proud what i really like though all that being said is i really feel like i'm in, in a position now to help guys with addiction of course yeah i and, think i think i'd agree with half that statement i think you're in no place to judge but nobody is nobody knows what other people are going through and you know he who casts stones in a glass house that shit right it's like but you're i think 100 percent in a position to give advice because you've gone through all that stuff, right? Yeah. Like if you hadn't, then you wouldn't know. Therefore, then you wouldn't be be an aficionado of it, you know? Like, yeah, the great thing the about know. the great thing about uh, recovering mm-hmm. or recovery is everything that I get to pass on to the other guy was taught to me. Mm-hmm. That's how it works, you know? You, you recover, you gotta help me. It's tribal knowledge. I cover, you gotta, you know, I, I'm gonna help you. Yeah. And uh, so you get, to, you get to pass on these incredible uh, the, or the, this incredible help that, that was given to me, this love and grace and support, mm-hmm. uh, and get to give that to other guys, you know. But but I've never felt better about doing anything. I, you know, I don't mean from the reward side. I just mean with the breathless. I, I understand what you're going through. Yeah. And I know I can help you. Yeah. I promise you I can help you. Absolutely. Right. So love that. Love that role, you know, uh, that I'm able to, to do that. Yeah. These days. You know? Well, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, you're helping people get their lives back on track. And for some people, it's addiction. For some people, it's, you know, it could be anything. Yeah. So it's, you know, to have people that have gone through it and are able to, to you know, bring in the next generation. I think that's one of the most meaningful things you can ever do. And I then, think so. And, and I, then, I can only speak for myself and I find it very meaningful to do it. Um, you know, but uh, what I... It's tough, you know, because there's sort of a selfishness. What you know, I just said to you, fifteen minutes. Ago, I I want to get back on air. You know, I want to I want to do that, uh, which I can do. Uh, you know, sober. Mm-hmm. Um, would, would, what would you give up to do it? You know, uh, the difficulty would be if I had to give up. I don't want to sound like a fucking martyr here, but if if I would really be lost if I couldn't help guys anymore. Right. You know. Well, I think making yourself you know a public figure and and putting yourself out there on the waves makes you more able to help people right you become more of an authority yeah sometimes through you know through a form like this when someone whips into that thing and says oh my god i never knew that man i never mm-hmm. i never knew you were fucking torn down <laughs> so like, so what's the deal you're gonna move down to la you're gonna leave us in edmonton or you gonna do it from here 
no, I'm gonna do. I, I'm gonna do it from here. Hope. Yeah, I'm gonna do it from here. Russ is gonna be in L.A. That's ridiculous. You should move to L.A. I know. But, uh, <laughs> I'm all about that. So uh, we got people setting it up. Yeah, we got my people. Your people. <laughs> who are gonna do the technical side? Get your assistance on it. It's actually this girl from the the, the company who's marketing it for us. Actually, has an office in Australia, mm -hmm. and that's who my contact is with it. And uh, she must she must hang up the phone going. Is this guy in the fucking dark ages, man? She'll ask me a question about about something, and I go, I don't know, I don't know. You're gonna have to, yeah. You know, like she hit me with a recapture word the other day, but I gotta recapture this some audio file. And does that just mean re-record? I don't know, Shane. I don't know what it means. <laughs> it's like we we captured it once, but we need to. But capture they don't believe it me when I say it. Like they don't believe me. Like I, this guy's got I don't know how to thirty send years in, in radio, and he doesn't know how to recapture. This morning, I'm trying to send a like I'm trying to forward an email to a group email. Yeah, and I, I got you know I got no shot. I got no chance to do that. We, Anyways, you can only reply all, but you can't forward all. So that might have Thank been like, you. That might have been You're going to help me with this. I could help That's you with exactly anything. what that was. You know, had you got me on Jungle Talk, I would have had you on iTunes. I would have had you on all yeah. that stuff. Like, this is on iTunes. Yeah, cool. It's, it's easy. All you have to copy and paste one thing into one place. and Wooshka. Wooshka? Yeah. You heard of Wooshka? No, it's not. Maybe we hooked up with the wrong company. That's what they said they're going to put this iPod on. Wooshka. Wooshka. Well, it doesn't really matter where <laughs> you host it, so long as you push it out to iTunes, Google Play, right. and then it gets pushed out to like FM and all those other... How many, so how are you doing in yours? I'm interested. So mine has, the first like 50 episodes I did were just on my own and I was averaging about 100 downloads an episode. Yep. Um, and then I hooked up with the Alberta Podcast Network. Yep. And now I think since then it's jumped up between 100 and 150 per episode. But as that was happening, I also kind of fell off because I got so busy with the documentary stuff. Right. So I went 50... 50 weeks in a row back to back and then I fucked it up doing the last a podcast day. yeah a weekly podcast 50. do you do them this long too yeah but like, do you edit I'm, these I don't know holy Jesus my computer crashed at one I'm point not that fucking at the start so you have to do some creative editing oh is that right oh, yeah okay. but uh, I don't think we missed anything vital but yeah no I I, I I went 50 weeks, almost a year straight, one a week, and then it kind of fell off. Hard, huh? Difficult day to do the planning and stuff. It's, it's harder when you don't maintain the schedule. Yeah. So once I was like, all right, we'll get back on it. Maybe I'll do one or two a month kind of thing. Then it was like one a month. Yeah. And now I've got you and a few other people lined up back to back to back. So I'm going to get that regular release schedule. Someone told me you have to do it. A guy who was in the nose said, the main thing is you have to do the regular one. So yeah. this thing drops Thursdays at four o'clock, yeah. you know, every That's week. what I did. I did Wednesdays. I didn't have a time, but I had every Wednesday. And to make dough, to make money at it, you got to get 10,000 downloads. Yeah. That's, that's the per number episode. I've been given per, per episode. episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So guys like, guys like Adam Carolla, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. Some of these guys have got the, you know, Joe Rogan and yeah. some of these guys have big podcasts. There's 500,000 podcasts now. Mm -hmm. So. Really, Jim? Is this something you and Russ want to take on? Or Shane, you're right? Yeah. You um, got to be the best of the best, or you have to do either be the best of the best or do something that no one else has done, right? So these guys are getting 10, 12 million downloads. Yeah. Oh, Joe's getting mil tens yeah. of millions. But it's Joe Rogan. Yeah. Right? It's Joe Rogan. But so. before he was Joe Rogan, he was just Joe Rogan from Fear Factor. Like, he tapped into something at the exact right time, just as this was coming up. Like, he wasn't the first to do a podcast. Right. But he came up with 
an inquisitive, no bullshit, kind of like you saying what other people were thinking but not saying. Yeah. And and never backing down, never saying like, oh, my guess is a big shot, so I'm not going to question him. It's like, no, he always questions. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, it's always. What, I haven't listened what, to a full one of his. What do you mean? What do you mean by that? Or, you know, I don't understand. Or what you just said doesn't make sense. Can you clarify? I got turned off, but it was a reality check when I t- tuned in to listen to him. Mm-hmm. I'm not lying. It was probably it was a six minutes straight of live testimonial ads. So yeah, you yeah. just skip like six to seven minutes and skip all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. But man, that's how he pays the bills. Yeah, and those guys are making a lot of money. Yeah, but they but they have a lot of downloads. The good thing with Joe's is that once you get past the the buffer on the front end of the ads, there's no ads in the middle. Right. Some podcasts will intercut mid podcast and say. Thanks for listening. We've got, you know, oh, do they? Rogaine Hair Plus uh, advertising. If you want to grow your hair back, you know, yada, yada, yada. And it's just like, come on. Like, yeah, yeah. It interrupts it. But anyway, I'm, I'm excited that you're getting back in the podcast space. I'm excited that you'll be on iTunes and accessible to millions of people worldwide. Yes. And, um, and, you know, looking forward to what you guys have to say I mean, because that's what it's all about. Yeah, I am too. You know, the, the main thing is uh, a little health, a bit of healthy ego to get to want to get back doing it and... Uh, uh, I'm I'm happy to take a crack at it again, you know, and I, and I think Russ will be great. We did we did a little practice one, and yeah. uh, and they liked it. Are you so. gonna? Are you? So here's the here's the thing. Like, don't the, ask me anything technically. No, it. no, no. But like the kind of the philosophy goes: you either go really high production value, or you just just push content out. I don't know where I, you guys falling. Like, is uh, so anyway, talk, the, the girl who's doing this, like I said, is in Sydney, Australia, right? Yeah. Who's who's what's her doing name? Tech Batul. Batool? Yeah. Yeah, I met her in LA. What's she like? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Batool's cool. Typical Australian? Cool Batool. Cool Batool? No, she was. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. She's a great looking girl. You know, yeah. Great looking girl. You know, wife, kids. Uh, but she's the she's the, the bomb behind the, the marketing of this. So right. I don't know what we're doing. I, I We're each going to get some sort of laptop that's going to show up at our houses <laughs> shortly like russ is no better at it than yeah, i am okay so well if you need help plugging it in okay g- give me a shout i'll come over and i'll help you so you're it the up. guy yeah because I mean, she's I, asking me for a guy so i'm going to make you some money you can come and set yeah, it up absolutely. for me like i've done this maybe i can do it from here yeah whatever you want you yeah come podcast here anytime but we're going to get it up on itunes and all that stuff well that's good facebook and when's the first episode going to come out uh, I think pr- probably the end of the month what's this the eighth, this is the 8th of january eighth today of january yeah uh I've been thinking the next two, three weeks, yeah. and it'll be a weekly one, mm-hmm. maybe twice a week. I don't know. Good. That's that's if it's twice a week, it's full time. Yeah, and um, is it advertised continent wide, or is it just U.S. or just Canadian? Or? So this company uh, is they own a bunch of uh, it's Global Traffic Network is the company, and they own. I I was telling you earlier, I didn't realize this, but all your traffic reports in cities, mm-hmm. like the actual car traffic, mm-hmm. is done separately by another company. So they offer this service, and they GPS all the traffic in your city. And then they sell the radio stations to service. Right. I just assumed there were idiots on the corner going, I'm at the corner. Of the <laughs> the so that guy has is about 100 cars down here. And yeah. And those guys get paid. They offer that service. They've got 105 stations in Canada, for example. I'm going to get you to hook me up with them. I want to talk to someone from that company. Yeah. You need, you need that. You need that. So they have a, they get paid in radio spots. Yeah. So they say, fine, we'll give you a bit of money, but we'll give you these radio. So they got this huge inventory. Of, of radio spots that they will now advertise podcasts on. Podcasts. Yeah. Do you realize what the irony about that is, though? You're, that people aren't listening to radio? They're that going, you're going to put on the old technology the advertisement to get them off that onto the new technology. That's right. That's, that's right. So, but that's reality. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's you can't ignore it. You know, even radio stations, right? Their pod, 
you know, even all these radio stations are taking all their hosts yeah. and having podcasts. Well, yeah, they record the live stream and then they and then they upload it online as a podcast later, right? Exactly, exactly. So we're gonna fall right in there. Excellent. I, I was faking the exactly there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll show you that one too. Okay. All right. Well, Jim, I'll let you go. I mean, that was over an hour, and I appreciate your time. And you got uh, family and lots of things to take care of. I do, man. I do. And but seriously, thanks for the chat. Like honestly, and thanks for you know being so open and honest and you know that's like i said the first step is for someone to kind of show the lead and take the lead and be open and, and that just has a cascading effect on everyone else 100 percent. yeah I, lo- I love it I, I love that part of my life these days where can people find you where can people see what you're eating for dinner uh where i don't know like is your your instagram your twitter oh yeah 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 because you hate that shit yeah because i hate that shit no no (laughs) i I, people see the selfies of you and wayne i didn't even get to talk about twitter man your relationship with 99 yeah twitter what's your twitter do you know at jungle jerome at jungle jerome or is that instagram there i'll tell you in two seconds i need a uh a producer here to look stuff up. yeah check it out twitter instagram facebook at Jungle Jerome. Everyone gets pissed because apparently I have two or three accounts on Facebook and I don't know how to get rid of them. So here's, yeah, here's your Twitter that's not active. Jungle Jim Jerome. Oh. Yeah, Jungle Jerome is the one for all the listeners to check out Jimbo and and his exploits and his selfies with Dustin Johnson. Instagram. And, and yeah. other, other famous people. I had a great time with him. We spent half, we spent 45 minutes talking uh, uh, golf. I went to the PGA. Yeah, with with the great one there. The, I'm the male groupie. <laughs> so the PGA Championship was in St. Louis. So I was down there for the four days. And just, yeah. What was uh, the highlight of that? Watching DJ play. He played himself out of it on the Saturday, so he couldn't couldn't win it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tagger, right? It was the Tagger show, and uh, he almost won the thing, right? He was it's crazy. It was crazy. But what did you think of the uh, the Tiger and Phil? One off yeah, the, the I, match. I don't think it worked out as well as they no? wanted to. You don't think you got the ratings? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It was. Um, they tried to sell it like it was a real deal. Yeah, and they no need one, to make it real. Me- and no one real. believed that. Yeah. So that was the problem. No one believed for they're a not second. Not good actors. They're athletes. Yeah, but no one believed for a second they were putting up their own money or yeah. any of that stuff. And so, uh, it's just not. A, you know, golfers go head to head all day long. Mm-hmm. They do it in every tournament. They they whether the format's match play or metal or whatever uh so that, that I, I didn't think there was enough new there for that to right to be sold so and i didn't it, even watch it it needed to be i think i watched it here it needed to be like uh, maybe they're just not the personalities for it maybe they're too reserved but i just couldn't help Phil but could think, be pretty funny you know, yeah Phil, but tiger is i i just couldn't help but think if you know you had some of the hockey guys some of the third or yeah tiger's just too too guarded right yeah. for for obvious reasons you know about what he says and uh, there's a guy who can imitate golfers now. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Uh, if you're not a golf fan, it won't mean much to you. But go on YouTube and search whatever you do. Guy who can imitate the players. Yeah. And the guy's fucking incredible. The, the voices, you mean? Like the voices, dude. Spot on. Look, spot on. Shape. That's unreal. Yeah, he did this as a laugh, and now it's a, it's a viral thing. But speaking of Tiger, you know, he just, when he's imitating Tiger, you're just not ever getting anything outside out of Tiger. Yes, you know, there's like, how was your day? Well, I put it pretty good. You yeah. know, I thought it was good. I it's did. like Crosby, right? Like, rarely are you ever going to get yeah. that because they yeah. have a brand to protect. It's the most boring interviews in the world. Yeah. Right? yeah. Now, well, you know, from hanging around with Wayne, right? He's cold and calculated in interviews, but outside of that, he's you know hilarious. 
Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's cold or calculating, but but he's certainly savvy. Yeah, you know, he's certainly savvy. You know, he's worked he's worked so many years on on uh, the image. You know that 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 he is actually. You know, and uh, never gotten any trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, never gotten any trouble. Doesn't he? Doesn't end up in any untoward way on any of the platforms and social media and stuff. Yeah. So, uh, but but they're tough interviews. You're right. You know, yeah. you're right. They're smart, you know. They're smart. When we had him uh, for the Fear documentary, and we were asking him about Grant's suspension back in the day, and he just goes, "Are we still on air here?" We, yeah. Oh. Uh, go ahead. Sir. You got to get out of here. No, no, I'm good. I'm oh. good. Yeah. Um, he just goes. Uh, we ask him some question about Grant's suspension. He goes, "I'm not touching that one next." <laughs> and right. So professional. Like we're like, all right, fair enough. That's yeah, yeah. the that's the answer. Yeah. He when I did that radio show when I started doing that radio show. Um, when I started sitting in was in 99 when he retired mm-hmm. and in fact the first shows I did were right when he was retiring mm-hmm. uh, and um, the guy said well there was a gag order put on by Sather at the time that no one could do interviews and I just started the show mm-hmm. and I phoned your dad yeah. and I said hey we, can you come on air and he said well we're not supposed to because it's, but because it's you big fella <laughs> so the guy the, I was telling the guy okay we're going to have Kevin tomorrow you know he said no you're not fuck you can't do that yeah, you, I heard you can't that. get him anyway long story short I got Kevin Marty and Craig McTavish and I walked in the next day and told the guy Kevin Lowe's coming on at 3.30 uh, <laughs> the, the guy said who the fuck is this guy yeah um, but those you know Craig McTavish is great interview he's Mar- Marty is like just turn the mic on yeah. and, and and you're gonna win an award yeah. uh, for for what he says um, but you know you, you, they're, they're smart you know like you like you're you know like Kevin is your dad he he uh, is so interesting yet uh, guarded mm-hmm. you know he's got to protect the club and him and his family and everything and uh he, but he's a good, but he's he's not a dull interview. Right. Tiger is a boring freaking interview. You yeah. Know? It's, you're not going to get much of it. Wayne's not boring. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about Wayne is he's got something to say about he's everything. Insightful. We couldn't believe it. Like we interviewed him for his his assistant said we had seventeen and a half minutes with him. That's what she said. Yep. You got seventeen and a half minutes. Yeah. We ended up locking her out of the room, so we kept him for twenty five. Right. But in a twenty five minute interview. We use probably 75% of what he said, which is so atypical for these documentaries. Like usually in an hour interview, you might pull, you know, 10%, 20% and, and put that in there. But Wayne, everything he said was just on point, oh, so yeah. accurate, so insightful and said things that made us think like, wow, that's unbelievable. Like didn't realize that. I'll tell you this that you probably didn't know. Uh, I watched Making Coco, your documentary uh, at Rogers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you did it one night there or two nights? Just one night. Okay, that night you did it. Uh, I'm name dropping here again, but I was sitting with Wayne. Yeah. And and uh, we're we had great. You know, everyone could see it. It was a beautiful setup in the new Rogers. And uh, both of us were looking straight ahead, watching it on the screen. And both of us ended up crying at the same time. Come on. No. Wow. Because he looked over at me and he's like, "Jesus, man, I'm tearing up here." And and. Uh, you know that was so real when Grant talked about his parents. Yeah. You know and stuff. Uh, uh, but he's got you know anyway, he's got a heart, Grant's. And, yeah. Uh, it, well, by the way, well done. That thing, oh, I appreciate that. That, that thing was so well done, and uh, I hope you do more. You know, but I mean that probably took knocked the life out of you doing that thing. Cause, you kidding me? Just got it started. 
Oh, we, got, we got Donovan Bailey coming up in February. We just started on Michael Bisbing, UFC fighter. Um, obviously, different different instances because with that hockey team, with those players, the people involved, so close to me and my family right. and us in this city. So that one was incredibly special. And I don't think we're ever going to have a premiere of that magnitude. Like, no. That, we, I, we well, can't, you might. You never. We can't find a Canadian record um, that says we didn't have the most people there. Like 2,600 people for a documentary premiere in Canada might well be the record oh cool so we're, yeah. we're pretty happy it was really well done but super you know our team was unbelievable and adam scorgey just an incredible wizard of a producer and and metsy directing yeah it was it was fantastic metsy directed the whole thing yeah oh he did yeah cool. no he was stellar and and then you know everyone from our our dop to our sound guy we just worked long freaking days and you know missed meals and all that kind of stuff but we just were all in it for the love of it and and, and the story and and because grant is just one of the most likable guys in the world like totally you know, likable, eh? that's the one thing out of all the interviews we did we did like 30 interviews and talked to tons of people and you know the game like there's always going to be one person who's got something negative to say about someone right not a single person had a single bad thing to say about grant i'll tell you where, where i was really uh i was super impressed with that is i've i've known grant as long as i've known your dad mm -hmm. right i've I was the male groupie in the mid '80s when I moved out here. Right, those guys are all my age. Yeah, um, is Grant Fuhr is a very low reactor man. Grant, Grant, you know, all right, good, yeah, good, yeah. you know, you oh, know okay. yeah, that quick. Everyone, anyone can imitate him. Wonderful guy, never says a bad word about anyone. Mm -hmm. I'm tearing people down from the fucking <laughs> from the base, and and Fierzy, we played a couple games of golf together over our life, and I've, anyway, I've known him, and I thought that when you were doing a documentary with Grant Fuhr, I was going. Oh boy. Good luck, man, yeah. because wonderful guy. Mm -hmm. I've interviewed him before on a radio show, but, but he's a low reactor. You know, he's a quiet guy. He doesn't like to get too excited. So I was amazed how, how much, what, what you did get out of that guy that you, you broke down that veneer. Mm -hmm. To get into that personal side was, for me, the hugest highlight of that yeah. thing. You know, no one knows his personal side. Everyone was sort of wondering and guessing and yeah. whispering. So and it was, uh, whoever did that, whoever got that out of him was, it was a team effort because you know there's certain circumstances where we knew the story you know yeah. we wanted him to tell it like the buffalo incident with the yeah. getting let into the country club he goes oh well you know um i didn't get accepted into a country club so you know i just joined another right we go no but grant like what happened it's like oh you want to know the whole story we're like yeah he's like well someone lit a swastika on their front yard uh, front yard and uh and then their whole approval board got fired and, and they hired new guys and then they invited me to join the club. And then I told them I joined the next club, their neighbors. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And it's yeah. like, Grant, that's what we need. We need like the full story. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he sort of got, he got the motions of it. And I think he like, honestly, I think he kind of opened up throughout that process as well. Cause, cause watching him it would go through it, it was like catharsis for him, all these things that he had lived through and really never talked that much about. And that's why I think it's so important to share these stories. and. You know, not just for the audience, but for the person, the individual themselves, because oftentimes they just, as an athlete, are just, you know, lifestyle and the rich and famous, just go, 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 that happens, deal with it, next thing. They never take time to reflect. And, and I think you can't truly move on to the next point in your life until you sort of reflect and are at peace with what's already happened. At least that's my take from a 30-year-old. Yeah, he, he would be, you know, when it comes to civil rights, okay, Grant Fuhrer would be the... Uh, he'd be the easiest guy, you know, to uh, insult about it. I don't know if that makes sense, you know. Like he just, 
he would be okay. Yeah, like, that's your deal. Come on, Grant. You're supposed to get excited yeah, I'm about not, these I'm things. Not, I'm not going to pick it. I'm no not big wa- deal. I'm not walking on the strike line yeah. here. I'm not. <laughs> you know, that's your deal. You know what yeah. I mean? That's a sort of stupid way I said that, but but he's just a, he's just an amazing guy that way. Water, just, water off the back. I don't know I if he's ever been offended. You know, I don't know. Uh, he did uh, tell us one story where this guy was getting under his skin about something, and he had he had a, his one of his cup rings on. I can't remember exactly how it went, but he, he's like the. I had to say something, and he, he just said something to the effect of like, "Oh yeah, buddy, like where's your cup ring?" Yeah, yeah, right. And that, that was the scoreboard. You want scoreboard yeah, on him? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But anyway, hey, we could talk about these guys for hours, and that's a whole nother podcast. We'll get into the right. the player stories and all that stuff one day. But yeah, they were. Uh, someone came into my, uh, you know, when the shit hit the fan there in the early nineties mm-hmm. with the team, the the. Was it Sports Illustrated that broke the, the article? Or? Well, that was in the eighties, eighty six. A joyless ride, a joyless end to a joyride. When they lost uh, against Calgary, yeah. When they lost, no, no, that's Calgary. the play. But when the shit hit the fan about, uh, well, that that article had that in there too, about their partying ways. Right. Uh, I remember uh, someone came in. I was selling real estate at the time, and uh, the secretary came back. We, into the pit there where all our desks were mm-hmm. said Jim there's someone here to see you and I'm like oh yeah great okay came out and, and uh and we sat down in our little boardroom that we had and I said what's up you know she was it was a female I'm so and so from the Edmonton Sun mm-hmm. and of course my fucking narcissistic I said oh okay what, what do you want to talk oh, about want to do said, an interview with I'd like to know about this, this story that's broken and what you're what can you tell me about these guys wow. And uh, what goes on, you know, even if I did know anything. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I kicked her out. Yeah, yeah fuck out of here. Yeah, what are you doing? Fuck fuck my time here. here. Come on. Because everyone wanted a piece of that. But yeah. uh, anyway, I had nothing to offer anyway. I had yeah. nothing to tell them. But um, anyway, back to Grant. He was, uh, I love Grant. A wonderful guy. I see him all the time and stuff. He's, he's great. Well, appreciate that. Uh, appreciate the praise and I appreciate uh, you coming on and, and spending time with me and um, yeah. we can you with people suffer from insomnia they can listen to this and put yeah I'll put them right to sleep put them right to sleep no appreciate you were great it. man alright Jimbo see you later brother what a guy huge thanks to Jim Jerome for chopping it up with me I loved every minute of that uh, thanks to everyone for tuning into the podcast if you want to hear from more comedians I strongly suggest checking out Mess Hall Podcast a weekly podcast in which Avery Cochran talks to comedians and sometimes other people about food. This and other great podcasts can be found over at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Again, thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time.